Just a quick reminder before we kick off to send us your questions and comments. We love hearing from you. This episode was made in response to some questions sent to us by Jocasta Cox from the UK. Jocasta sent us an email at vetdweltpodcast at gmail.com asking for some help. Jocasta, if you're listening, we hope this answers some of your questions. So if there's something that you'd like some input on or that you'd like to get off your chest, give us a shout and we'll see if we can help. You can also leave us a voice message if you go to our show at anchor.fm or look us up on the socials. Now, back to our episode. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gerardo Polly. And this, I'm oh, sorry. I'm Gerardo Poli. I'm Hubert Hemstra, and this is the Vet Vault. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Vet Vault. We are doing a special episode this time. We thought we'd do a bit of a Q&A. We've had some great questions from our listeners, and one of them in particular stood out. It's a question from a scholar, a high school student in the United Kingdom. And she has a bit of a conundrum. Her and her classmates are deciding whether they want to become veterinarians, whether they want to study vet science. But they can't go and see practice because of COVID. And she asked if we can help out with some information about what life as a vet is about. So we thought we'd get in touch with some of our great friends and ex-guests on the show and any vet we know to see if we can get some insights. And I thought the best one to start with would be the very popular and lovely Dr. Louisa. Louisa, welcome back on the Vet Vault. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Excited to you, were you, number, you were number one. You were number, number one. one. I know, that seems like a long time ago now. Wow. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'm going to give you her questions. So okay. the first, we're going to, I'll start just with the first one. Her first question is, what does the daily routine of a vet in diff, different practices involve? So all three of us are smallies vets. Mm-hmm. Let's go, Louisa. What does the daily routine of a small animal GP vet look like? Um, so I think this is always practice dependent, but I've worked in quite a few small and multi practices and really daily routine would be um, you will consult in the morning. So let's say from 8.30 till 11.30 and that will be your, your boosters, your health checks, your vomiting, diarrhea dogs. If you see anything sick, you could admit them. Um, and this also does depend whether you work in practices that have like satellite branches or a main hospital. So um, if you saw something poorly, you might send it to your main hospital or whatever. And then um, you tend to break off and do afternoon ops. So you'd operate, let's say, 12 till 3, 12 till 4. Um, and then you'd finish ops and then you'd have evening consults. Um, but like I said, that can vary. Other practices I've done um, solely consulting three days a week and then ops two full days a week. It really does depend. But most GP practices, you'll have a mixture of your consults and um, you, you, your ops procedures um, and you split those into dirty ops, clean ops as well. So dental procedures, horrible lump removals, and then you pitch spays and abdo procedures, etc. So it's, pretty, it's a pretty variable day, isn't it? There's a, there's a lot of different stuff happening all day. Yeah, so 
I've always said there's there's not one day that you could say is the same at all. Um, every day will surprise you with something. You can prepare a little bit, I suppose, for your day by looking ahead at what consults you've got or sort of procedures, but every day will be varied because you don't know what's coming in through the door. So your whole day could be ruined by one procedure that comes in. You've got to rearrange all of your consultations, particularly if you're the only vet or there's two, and you jump straight to ops. Um, so you've just got to be prepared to adapt to whatever the day throws at you really yeah i like upon reflection I, I remember general practice being like that so i like when i first graduated from uni i was in general practice for two and a half years and the first year was kind of like that yeah morning consults 8 30 till about 11 o'clock then you have morning tea if you had time to have morning tea whatever that was right some, scoff some food as you would pre-medding your patients but hopefully you've planned ahead and your nurses have planned ahead and your pre-medding patients are ready so that by the time you come out of consults wham bam induce anesthesia ma'am and then your first procedure surgical procedure or dental or whatever it may be for the day and then roll through try to get it all squeezed out and then straighten the afternoon consults then try to get home try try to try to get out by six o'clock so long long days well, how, what time does your – it starts a bit later in the UK, actually. What time does work start in the UK and what time do you finish normally? Um, again, it's practice dependent. So I do um, 8.30 a.m. to 7 p.m. at the moment, um, and then I account for travel time, so half an hour there, half an hour back. Um, so they are they are long days, but my current week is a four-day week um, with like a one-in-four Saturday, full Saturday, until five. So – um, other practices do like shorter ones, like I don't know, nine till five over five days. But I prefer to have a day off. Mm. Um, so they are, they are quite varied. And if you're lucky, some practices you do have a set lunch. But ultimately, we all know that <laughs> breaks, the tea break or lunch breaks are when you can. Um, and that's, I suppose, something you do get used to, unfortunately. So to our next question, or to our listeners' next question. What would you say is the most important factor in deciding to become a vet? Ooh. Now, this is interesting because we've just had the conversation about when Gerardo decided to become a vet. It's very different to mine. Um, so I think that most of us have, like, I don't know, you have a drive and a passion to want to safeguard the health and welfare of the pets, and I think that's what ultimately drives you. Drives you to it. You, you. Most often, a lot of us are grow up with pets, and we know that human animal bond. And I know for me, all I wanted to do was protect them and look after them, and make sure that these pets are going to be, you know, prevent disease and treat disease, and make sure that we can keep our, all of our pets healthy. So um, that's um, that's what that's what I think. What do you think, Gerardo? Yeah, to, like to be honest, actually, um, my my career pathway, my 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 decision making into heading to veterinary science was a little bit different. Yeah. So I didn't have pets when I grew up, and but what intrigued me was science. Science intrigued me, like anatomy, physiology. That's the things that I excelled at, at school. And when I actually first went to uni, it was, it was, it was human anatomy, physiology, biology. And then I went to, uh, I was at a party and I met someone and, and, and she said, like, she, she was doing vet science. And I was like, 
wow, like, why are you doing that? And then she goes, oh, it's because I get to do this. I get to be, I get to do surgery, I get to do medicine, I get to learn about anatomy, physiology. Like, I get to learn about everything. And that was the thing that actually intrigued me. And here I am, a veterinarian now. And I have no regrets, 100% no regrets. I echo that as well. Like, the fact that you, you can do so many aspects in this career of being from a dentist to a medic to a surgeon to just preventative health like it's it's the efforts that you can do towards it is endless and I think yeah I I really enjoyed science as well although actually interestingly failed chemistry at uh, college and was told I wouldn't get into vet school which I think I mentioned in the first podcast so this Something that I didn't consider at the time, uh, but if you talk about an important factor in deciding to become a vet, so I think most people who become vets are like you, Louisa, who it's it's born from a love of animals. And that's certainly been mine. Mine was nature and animals and, and science, a combination of that. But it really helps if you like people. Uh, if you say the, if I had to say the most important factor, what's, it's not to say that you can't do it if you don't like people, but you'll enjoy it a hell of a lot more. If you do actually enjoy working with people and talking with people, to people and building relationships, if you really don't like people, you might actually really struggle unless you go into a, a different kind of role that's not that people facing. But for the average vet, you deal with humans a lot and you may as well enjoy it. Yeah, and I think they, a lot of people would ask us, like, why, why don't you become a doctor? And I think it's easy to say, oh, I don't like dealing with people, but you're absolutely right. So most of our job, and um, most of the challenges are dealing with people. So you have to have a capacity to be able to um, communicate and manage people. Otherwise, you're going to come stuck, uh, particularly particularly in like GP or when you are face to face with clients as well. So I do think you have to um, yeah, be able to build relationships and um, make bonds with people that you don't know. Um, definitely. I, I, I remember when... Someone asked me, why wouldn't you be a doctor? It was because I didn't have, and my answer was 100%. It's because I didn't have to deal with people. Like, like honest, that's what it was. It was like, I didn't have to deal with people. And before uh, I was a veterinarian and through vet school, I was a librarian. I was a librarian and I spent a lot of time talking with people, helping people and, you know, connecting with people. And as as much as I went into vet science thinking I couldn't be a doctor because I didn't want to have to deal with people's illnesses and so forth, um, being a librarian prepared me, prepared me to connect with people. So um, inherently, I actually really liked the engagement that came with being a veterinarian through the connection of people with people. And the fact that I understood pretty quickly for, uh, early on that if I was better able to connect with people, and understand and communicate with them, then I was better able to care for their pet. And if you if you if you don't let go of that, if you if you walk into vet science feeling like as if you just want to be the best for the pet, but then don't care about humans, do not go into vet science. Yeah, you're not going to go into Yeah. And Louisa just said there, it's hundred percent you can't do what you need to do for the pet if you do not want to connect with people. Yeah, like communication skills, I can't stress enough. I remember thinking they're really boring because you think, well, I'm, I'm dealing with the pet. But actually, in hindsight, and when you reflect, the most challenging cases and the most success I've been able to sort of achieve um, for, the, for the pets 
has always been if I can communicate with that client, get them on board, they trust me, they believe in me, and then they, then I can do what I need to do for their pet. If they don't believe in you or trust you or value your opinion, by which you wouldn't have got by poor communication or or personal skills, then you're not going to get anywhere, and that that pet will ultimately not receive the treatment that you recommend. Great stuff. So that that I think leads quite nicely into the next question. What do you look for in a veterinary student that makes you think they will become great vets? Uh, So I get asked this quite a lot. I think a lot of vet students worry that we put a lot of um, emphasis on clinical skills, and that's absolutely not the case. Um, And I do think that it depends on what practice you go into as well and what role that you're going to apply for and whether you go into, you know, work in a branch practice or a hospital practice. But for me, I think. If I'm looking at a student, then I want them to be able to fit in with my team because my team is solid and they're they're very, very welcoming and I have to know that they will mix with them. I think as well, um, I like students that I know can be um, taught and they they welcome being taught as well. Um, I, I think I don't mind the element of confidence when you come in, but I think there's a fine line between that and being arrogant and wanting to like be in charge and whatever. I think think it's very, very humbling when somebody asks for help and, and wants to wants you to guide them um, rather than just going off on their own and then you can watch you can watch them progress. Um, but as well, I think I also like somebody with it's always the cliche like in the uh, adverts like enthusiasm but enthusiasm is so important like particularly for the likes of I mean I know you guys have been vets a little bit longer than me but um you know sometimes we're not as enthusiastic um as 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 we once were and I do think bringing some enthusiasm into it it's so it's so just inspiring as well and just somebody who wants to learn and wants to build character and progress um they're they're the most things most important things to me rather than clinical necessarily clinical skills Absolutely, that that enthusiasm, enthusiasm and curiosity. If we if we have students who see practice with us and they just and I understand, I appreciate that it's often a shyness thing, but they stand back in the corner and don't say a word. And you're yeah. like, dude, why are you even here? You've got zero interest yeah. in what's going on. I want you to look over my shoulder and see what I'm doing and ask me questions and and get excited about what you're doing. And I can see that you that you want to get stuck in and, and do the same thing, Gerardo. Hundred percent, man. Having done dozens of interviews, you have a feeling, and the feeling is you want someone who's curious. You said the right word, curious, right? They want to learn more. They want to understand more. They want to see what happens. They want to know, right? They're curious to learn. I would take a new grad over an experienced general practitioner, provided that they had the want to learn, the, the, the curiosity to see some new things, and then the last thing, which is the want to be coached and mentored. Mm. I would not hire someone, 100% will not hire someone if I get the feeling from them that they had everything what it needed. You know, like. Yeah, they're the, I'm, the, I'm the finished. I am the finished product. I'm ready to roll. I am the finished product. And I'm going to come here and I'm going to, yeah, like I'll show you what is, you know what. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And I do think you, like, you're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but you, I can work out if somebody's right for the practice on me in, in one, literally within the first few minutes. And I think as well, it's, I think 
I mean, I don't know whether the question was specifically down to like being in the interview, but I think um, it, it really is about that character of that person. I just think someone who really wants to self-improve and um, and learn is categorically the most important thing for me because um, clinical skills can be learned. I mean, don't get me wrong, if, if they happen to have gone on a nutrient thing and then they had all of these other things, then, then that's that's great. But equally... Someone that you can work with and that can develop with you will be far better to work with than someone who is uh, arrogant and already self-made and you just think, no. I do also like to see, I know we talk about love for people and not just love for animals, but I do like to see that you actually like animals. If so, if, if somebody's there seeing practice and I don't see them at least cuddle an animal once or twice yeah. in that time that I do worry about, you might lose motivation because there are some animals involved in this job as well. Definitely. We always have pets in our interview rooms anyway. Oh, you do? You have, mm-hmm. you have pets in your interview rooms? Yeah, because we, we bring our dogs to work. Well, I bring the dogs to work. So if there's a pet, so if we have them, um, and when I say interview room, it's probably the kitchen. Um, so, yeah, and I, I remember my vet school interviews always had dogs in there, and there was a brown Labrador at Nottingham, and I felt completely at ease. Um, so, yeah, I just think it, it relaxes people as well, and then you That's can cool get a vibe for them. I like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I love it. I love it if your dog is in there and it's growling at the the, the candidate. The candidate. This is weird. Okay. Well, well, that's a sign, right? <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll we'll wrap it up with the last one. What do you wish that you'd known when you entered the when you first entered the profession? Oh, um, I think again, this comes back down to people um, that you actually do for the majority of time. The most challenging aspects of this job, I do feel, involve you, the, the clients and, and, and the people. And I think if I could go back and tell my baby self, it would be have realistic expectations about what this job has to offer. Accept that there are going to be some absolute winning times and you should you should treasure them and remember them. Um, so I write down my, my wins and I keep all the letters and thank you cards and things are in a box down there. Um, but also just accept that we are going to have some quite difficult times. And I think how you approach and get through that is more of a reflection of your character than how you are otherwise, really. Um, and even the likes of, you know, us who might demonstrate that everything's perfect at work is categorically not. I have some horrendous times. I've cried at work. I've had clients swear and be foul and royal college complaints which was stupid um they are going to be they're going to be some really difficult times and we all have them we all get through them doesn't define you and you've just got to roll with it and how you deal with it I think it's easy when it comes with time and if you've got a lovely supportive group of people that can help you but just know that you're going to have these bumps and it's going to happen just get through them and don't dwell on them that's what I would tell myself I love that. Gerardo? Was, was there anything that young Gerardo didn't know or was young Gerardo the finished product? <laughs> Apart from the fact that I, I didn't realize how much money we earned. <laughs> you really didn't know? <laughs> I had no idea. I got to the third year that someone said, oh, look, Gerardo, you're probably likely going to earn about 50000 Australian dollars in your first year. I was like, Huh? <laughs> Really? I have to be resourceful. I have to be like, 
I have to. I, I I have no idea what I need to learn. I'm fairly certain it's beyond veterinary medicine, which is, for, but you know, like that's why I went down that the pathway of, of business ownership. So let me rephrase it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, that was honestly actually that's the question. The question I didn't know was how much we earned, and 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 the perspective it comes from is I don't I don't I don't want to stereotype it right, but but I. I still felt like as if I would have to be the person who supported my partner, my wife, child, family, income. And I couldn't do that on $50,000 a year. And when I got to the third year, I seriously considered leaving and doing medicine, human medicine, because that would then offer me the financial abundance to provide for a the lifestyle and family and, and my partner. And I remember when I when I graduated and I was in second year, second year graduate veterinarian, my partner and I split up and I had a modest house with a mortgage and then we separated. I could not afford my own house on my veterinary income. Mm-hmm. I filled my house with tenants. So it was me with like four other tenants and I had a surplus of $50 per week after my wage. That's why, you know, like that was a major contributing factor for the transition to emergency. The the, the impetus was actually the lack of income, um, but what it did was drive me to the next level and push and train myself. So um, the, the thing that I wish I would tell myself in the past would be like, hey, dude, you're stepping into this. You're probably not going to earn enough income as a veterinarian to, to do the things you want to do. You have to be creative. You have to be resourceful. It's If I knew that at the start, I may not have done veterinary science. That, that gels quite nicely with, with what I wish I'd known at the start of my career. And, and it is, it's to do with, with money, but also a lot of the other negative things that people tend to complain about veterinary science as a career. I was definitely a bit of a victim. I loved whinging about it, how hard we work and how crappy the pay is and all of this. And, and, and I suffered for, for that mentality. And what I'd realized 10, 15 years into my career is that it's really up to me. It is, it's genuinely up to me. How much enjoyment and fulfillment I'm going to get out of my veteran career is up here between my ears and maybe in my heart somewhere. I don't know if I want to get philosophical about it, but it's, it's up to your own attitude, um, how much money you earn. If if you walk into a job and you just want to do the job and nothing more, you're in the wrong career if you think you are going to earn a lot of money as a vet. But there are ways. If you come up with ideas, if you clever about it, there are ways to, to achieve anything in this profession like in any other profession. Every profession has challenges. I think my issue is I felt like my boss or veterinary science or my clients or somebody owed me something because I was clever and I'd studied really hard and somebody reward me. And it took me 10 years to realize that's not going to happen. I'm going to have to make it happen for myself. And once that clicked in my head, I suddenly started enjoying it. Yeah. And I, I completely agree with that. So I have a lot of conversations with friends who are unhappy in their jobs and, and whatever. And I, and I, the theme is really that I do think we need to take responsibility for our own happiness in this career as well, particularly if you're going to have longevity in it. And obviously for Gerardo, it was you going into emergency. Um, I knew that 
I get happiness from doing extra qualifications and then going into some management things and who knows what the future holds. And I think, you know, that there is so many ways that you can diversify in this job by still being a vet as well. And there are different avenues that you can take. You just have to find it. But I think you always have to find your feet first. And then eventually just there are so many opportunities if you just look. Um, and I think, yeah, the number, I mean, our clients all the time think we get paid a fortune. It's ridiculous. We don't. Um, but if you are happy with the, your income and you're comfortable with your life, and that's great. But equally, you know, looking at, you know, look at you, you guys, there are different ways of branching out and having different revenue coming in um, that, you know, keeps you motivated to go to work as well. Awesome. Should we wrap it up there? I think this is hopefully going to be really valuable. Tell us if you love it and if you want more, because we received a lot more questions, so we can do some more of these episodes. Uh, Louisa, who should we get next? Um, I'm trying to think. I suppose it kind of depends on. I would, you know what? I would go for a farm vet or something. So I really like Hazel. I really like Hazel Mullins. I actually did go to vet school with her, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's fabulous because she's um, a, a cow vet. Um, so I think mixing it up a little bit because obviously we're all small but I think um, maybe looking into the farming side and the equine and, yeah. and all the opportunities out there I think that'd be quite good cool thank you so much